0: Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. It absolutely feels like the world is ending right now, and and my heart and hope is that wherever you are, you're safe, you're healthy, and so are your loved ones. But regardless of what's going on in your world, I feel and hope that today's episode will be a bit of a reprieve and distraction, but also uh, today's guest shares so many wonderful bits of wisdom that hopefully it'll actually even encourage you to pursue something that maybe you've been a little bit afraid to take seriously. Today's episode is actually quite unique because um, it is our first sequel interview, and I could not be more thrilled about the guest. It is um, artist and illustrator, Kayla Coombs. And uh, once upon a time, I was scrolling through a Twitter feed a couple years ago and somehow stumbled on a piece she had done. And I just loved everything about it. And I had to dive right in to see who this person was, who was the artist behind this piece. And it was Kayla. And um, I uh, just sent her a note out of the blue, asked her if she wanted to be on the show and she did. And since then we've kept in touch. And I have to say, she's one of the most generous, genuine humans I've ever had the pleasure to know, and I just am I'm a big fan girl. Um, and on today's show, she kind of catches us up. Her journey has been quite crazy. If you were one of the folks who saw the um, Sleeping Beauty proposal video online recently that went viral, she was the artist behind that. So she shares that story, but so much more just in terms of how she's accelerated her growth process and really flattened her learning curve over the last couple of years and uh, not only will you hear great stories and get a good laugh out of it, but hopefully you'll also learn something that'll benefit you in your journey. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with artist Kayla Coombs. Kayla, I'm so glad you're back. I missed you.
1: So happy
0: to be talking to you again like oh you're one of my favorite people love you oh you're so nice oh my goodness um friend so many things have happened to you since we last talked at least on the podcast i know we've talked uh you know between our last interview but before we jump into the meaty questions my darling first and foremost um, tell me about mm-hmm. COVID-19 and what that's doing to your local area. Like, how are people responding? What's the government doing and all that fun stuff?
1: Oh, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think um, the Australians have a reputation, as I'm sure you know, of being super laid back, which in most situations is fantastic. Um, but when it comes to global pandemic, maybe not the best mm. attribute to have. Good point. Um Yeah, so I think initially everyone was, like, pretty chill. And then as it became more and more serious, people were, like, probably still a bit too chill about it. And um, now it's gotten to the point where the government has kind of had to put in place strict lockdown rules. So at this point um, I'm in Melbourne, so um, we are on, I think, a stage three lockdown at the moment, which basically means – Everyone has to be in their homes unless you're an essential worker, which is healthcare doctors, nurses, um, supermarket staff, that kind of thing. Um, And you can go for one walk a day and you can only go to that walk with one other person. Um, You have to be at least 1.5 metres apart from them at all times and you can only in your home have other people that live with you. So... Um yeah, it's it's crazy. There are even some people I see like if I have to like get in the car to go to the grocery store or something. So you can still go to do essential shopping. Um, but when I go to the shops, people will be wearing face masks in their car, and I'm like, Do you understand what's going on here? It's probably oh. not not essential that you're the only person in your car. But, oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, so wow. it's uh, real mixed bag. Some people are still very relaxed about it, and then some people are obviously on the other end of the spectrum. But Mm. overall, uh, we're doing okay at trying to flatten the curve because most people are inside snacking, flattening their curves. (laughs) So, you know, it all works out.
0: Oh, man, I keep thinking after this this storm passes, um, you know, there's going to be an epidemic of diabetes that takes place. Because of all of the snacking that's happening. But I I hope that you and yours um stay safe and it's just it's just really hard to believe what we're watching.
1: Yeah, Uh, well for me as well. Like all my family live in Queensland and I live in Victoria, so Mm. two different states, and the Queensland borders have been closed for about a week now. So I can't get back to visit my family (laughs) for kind of the foreseeable future. Wow. So that's crazy.
0: well, thank you for that update live from Australia. Um,
1: yeah, he had
0: it here first. <laughs> that's right. Oh, snap. Here, we, uh, the, we really haven't, we, we aren't in lockdown, and I live in eastern Washington, and I, mm-hmm. but I feel like we should be. Like, we have a stay-at-home order, which means you're supposed to limit travel, but we can go out and about more than once a day if we wish. I really feel like it should be stricter, and I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if we go there, and I hope we do
1: yeah oh snap a weird situation i've heard though that for you guys is it the state kind of government that decides what to do yeah it
0: is and the federal government could step in but for some reason they're choosing not to they're kind of letting the states uh, do as they wish but there are a lot of states who are calling for the federal government to just sort of mandate some sort of a lockdown We'll see what yeah. happens i guess but yeah. anyways thanks for for humoring my covid question um on to a much more fun question uh for those <laughs> for those who may have heard your first interview and maybe haven't been following your journey though um can you tell us a little bit about kind of what's been going on for you the last couple months your life has kind of taken
1: taken some exciting twists and turns yeah it's been very strange but also very wonderful and i'm super grateful Um, so yeah, for the second half of 2019, I was working on this project that it was basically just like a... Um, I guess you could say it was a personal commission, but it was quite large. This guy just emailed me one day out of the blue and he was like, my girlfriend's favorite movie is Sleeping Beauty and I have this big you know, <laughs> idea of animating us into the end of the movie and is that something you could help me with? And I was like, this sounds adorable, sure. <laughs> um, and so I just did that and I was just cruising along in my normal life and you know, family and friends would ask me what I'm working on and I'd be like, oh, this and this and, and this really cute proposal video thing that i think is going to be really cute um and then in like early january of this year uh, i just woke up one morning and it was going absolutely bananas on social media and yeah it just kind of took off and from there i was interviewed by bbc and like, People magazine. and so crazy. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And I, before this all happened, I'd booked a holiday over to Europe to visit a friend of mine who I went to pro, um, sorry, high school with. And um, so I went there at the end of January, and I'd been uh, with my friend in the U.K. for less than 24 hours when I got a call that they wanted to fly me out to L.A. to go on the Kelly Clarkson show and, like, meet the proposal couple. So... <laughs> It was just like, it's been a very, very weird time. And then I got back from my trip just before coronavirus really like kicked off. So <laughs> it's been the most bizarre time.
0: Oh man, my friend. Yeah. You In just... the best way. Yes, totally. Yeah. A question. You always seem so cool, calm, and collected. Did any of those interviews make you nervous at all? Oh
1: yeah, yeah I was pretty nervous for the Kelly Clarkson show, but Mm. I think my, I was mostly just so excited to finally meet Lee and Stutti and also obviously to meet Kelly Clarkson that like there was just kind of an underlying, very like um, human connection kind of vibe to it. So I wasn't really worried so much about what I would say or, you know, making sure I didn't say the wrong thing. I was just so excited to meet this couple that like, you know, I'd worked with Lee for six months on this and he's such a sweetheart and and then obviously to meet Stuthi as well and, you know, they were both so lovely and Kelly Clarkson. I mean, who doesn't love Kelly Clarkson? You know, right. every every like breakup slash road trip slash <laughs> like girls night that anyone's ever had has revolved around Kelly Clarkson. Yes. So I was just like so happy to be there and I think also for me – not being anywhere close to the entertainment sphere of Hollywood. It was a massive novelty. So I was mostly just like geeking out over everything that people thought was normal. So that kind of takes away from the nerves a bit when you're just That's like, awesome. this is hilarious. How oh, is this man. my life? <laughs> That's
0: so, I mean, you seemed so like natural and I was like, Holy smoke. She's like, she, she was born for this. So good. So
1: good. <laughs> gonna happen again unfortunately
0: (laughs) well I'm holding out for the Ellen show it'll it'll happen one day (laughs) you'll you'll be there (laughs) oh man I love it I love like honestly um having known you a little bit before everything happened watching it all unfold I just kept saying like this couldn't have happened to a better person so it just makes me so happy to watch it all unfold and (laughs) I know I know there's only more good coming
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh no it was it was really nice that that people enjoyed it I think that was the main thing for me was that you know we we made this thing that was essentially just for one girl and people saw it and it brought a smile to them and it made them happy for a little while in these kind of crazy times and yeah, I'm really so happy good. that that it made people smile. So good.
0: Well, let's get yeah. to some some other really juicy stuff. So, you know, we've talked a little bit um, since our last interview about some creative efforts you have going and just kind of your overall philosophy, which I just love. Like, there's so much about how you've approached this career in art and just how you interact with people as a person that I really admire. And so I'm excited to kind of take a deeper dive into some of the things that we started to explore last time, so I have so many questions, Kayla. So many yeah, questions.
1: I'm ready. I've got a <laughs> cup of tea.
0: Here we go. All right, we're ready. All caffeinated <laughs> up. Um, one one thing I wanted to to dive into a little bit is is work life balance. Now, what's really funny to me is so many people right now are working from home, and that's what you do on a on a pretty normal basis because you're a freelancer currently. Um, How do you manage to sort of keep life fun and interesting and social typically when we're not social distancing? um, Can you talk a little bit about that work-life balance that you like to sort of keep in your life? How do you keep things new and interesting and fun while still primarily working from home?
1: Yeah, I mean... It's it's interesting because to me it comes pretty naturally, but I've only recently realized that I'm very lucky to be in that boat and that so many mm. people really struggle to, to work from home and make their life exciting, I guess. Um, whereas for me, I'm just like, this is the dream. <laughs> oh it's just like normalized my lifestyle, which is great. Um, no, so I think um, – It can be a bit tricky, especially if you're working from home and your work involves something that you're also passionate about because there is a bit of a stigma, I feel like, for people to um, work themselves to the bone if it's their passion. You know, like you should want to work all the time because you love it, right? Even though you've been doing it for 14 hours straight today, you still love it, don't you? And it's like that's just not sustainable for anyone. And for me, I think coming from... Um, a career as a scientist that I didn't enjoy and choosing to draw now as a career that I do enjoy my main priority is to make sure I maintain that enjoyment like I don't want to get to the point where I don't enjoy this work anymore um, because I do love it so much so um, the one way that I try to manage that is to be very selective about what I work on and how long I work and taking breaks to use different parts of my brain so that I don't feel like I'm getting exhausted being creative and doing this thing that I love so much. So, like, for me, a typical day um, probably involves like, I wake up in the morning and do maybe like an hour or so of just like admin and emails and stuff. And I still, so like for my freelancing, I do basically everything myself from like my website design and like coding all the way through to like, I respond to all my own emails, as many Instagram messages as I can. Um, and I like to do that stuff because it uses a different part of my brain and it gives me a break. So I don't have to, draw all day, which, and I don't want it to get to the point where it's, um, a burden to do that. So like, I just mix it up. I do my emails in the morning and, and do like other messages and admin type stuff. And then I'll, you know, do some sketching or make a little to-do list of, of the creative tasks I have to do and do some research for whatever projects I might have coming up. Um, and then I have lunch and at home I make an effort to not have lunch at my desk, Um, And have a break and actually like, you know, watch a 20 minute episode of a TV show or something. And then I'll do more emails after lunch, a bit more creative stuff. And then I'll usually finish the day with some emails as well. And that's kind of it. And, and then socializing in the evening you know, mm. at the moment, mostly over Zoom. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, like, I really love doing admin type tasks. And so mm. that for me is a break rather than um, something that I dread. And I I think a lot of people at my point in their career would be thinking, oh, maybe I should get an agent mm. or an assistant or, um, yeah. you know, like expand my business. But for me, I think Doing every part of my business is what keeps me enjoying it. And so yeah. I'm going to keep it like that for as long as I can, hopefully. I love it. I
0: love it. I love it. That's fantastic. And I appreciate that you went into that because that was literally going to be my next question. Kind of what does a typical day look like for you? Um, a follow up question to that would be. Some days I can imagine as being a human, you wake up and you're just not feeling it. <laughs> you're like, <Yeah. laughs> I am not feeling creative. I'm not really looking forward to maybe this particular uh, project I have to do today. What do you have any tips or tricks for yourself that kind of help you be able to kind of get back in the mode and face it, even if you're not thrilled about it? What, what do you typically do on those days?
1: yeah so that actually is interesting because it brings to mind one example that somehow tends to happen every time i work on a big project (laughs) so essentially usually how it will go will be if i'm collaborating with um i don't know like a business or working on something you you know i'll have to provide a couple of concepts Mm. and then they pick which direction (laughs) we're going to continue developing it in and as any creative can probably relate to, if you have to come up with more than one concept for like the one kind of thing, you will have a personal favorite. Like you have a baby. Yes. One is the one that like, (laughs) it just flowed out of me so naturally. And like, it just feels like it's the right fit. I can feel it in my bones. And then you have to come up with like other ones as well to fulfill the requirements. And they never pick that one. Yeah, they never, ever pick it. And I'm always like, why? And it makes me so mad. One of my tips for, like, when it gets to that point and it almost feels like I'm being forced to work on something that I don't want to do at that point, um, my way to overcome that is, A, um, if I get an email and my immediate reaction is to be frustrated or mad, I will not reply to that email until the next day because I I don't want to reply in anger and with time you can almost always see where they're coming from Um, so that's one tip and I guess my second tip is that for me to create something it actually takes quite a bit of research so like if I had a brief that was designing characters that had a specific look like maybe they wanted them to all have like a kind of street look where they were like almost like you know gangsters or like something you know if there's like a broad kind of description my first step is always to do a google deep dive search on whatever info i've got and so sometimes if i'm not in the mood to sit down and draw i will just do research for like an hour or an hour and a half and just you know, seeing photos and I'm like, oh, I like those colours, or I like the shape of that, or I like this, or I like that. And you just kind of build up a folder of material. And as you're doing that, you kind of get excited to create because you're yeah, you're kinda of like hyping yourself up in a way. It's like, yes, okay, I'm seeing all this stuff. It's inspiring me a bit. And it is still an element of work that needs to be done. So you're still being productive as well. Um so yeah, that's kind of how I go about that. I, I tend to ease myself into a creative task by doing the the non actually creative stuff that needs to be done as groundwork first. And I don't know if it's just the way my brain works or if because I've built it as such. A routine now that, like, as I'm doing that, my brain automatically goes, okay, now it's time to draw something. Now it's time to actually, like, create something. And it just gets me there a bit more easily, I guess. That's such a good tip. I love I I love it. Of research if I just sat down and started drawing it would be a mess <laughs> it would be an absolutely mess and I actually I um, I met a girl when I was in when I was in London we did a couple of events for my book and um, a few people that followed me on Instagram came along and I met one of these um, one of these artists and we were like doing some sketching together and I made a comment about how it probably wasn't going to end well because I hadn't been drawing an awful lot on my trip and um, she was like, oh, I find that hard to believe. And I was like, no, no, so <laughs> many sketches that I do are trash. Like, obviously, you're <laughs> yes. the best stuff out there. But And I was thinking maybe I should share like parts of my sketchbook that are absolutely rubbish one day because mm. I don't think people entirely realize that you'll never get to the point where it all comes mm. out good. <laughs> I love that, yeah. Yeah, and, like, don't put too much pressure on yourself for it to turn out good because I'm sure that, like, there are, you know, people that, you know, there are probably huge actors and, you know, famous artists. You know, Van Gogh probably made some absolute shitters in his day. You
0: know? Truth that are still somehow worth, you know, millions. (laughs) I love it.
1: it. Probably not. He probably has some, like – collectors are thinking no way I'm not paying for that that is rubbish
0: (laughs) I love that oh man I'm gonna start an Instagram account called uh, Van Gogh shitters and I'll just (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) we'll post them there every
0: famous artist fails I love it oh man you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about how you're very particular about the freelance gigs you do choose to work on which is amazing and I can only imagine after the Sleeping Beauty um Uh, video went viral that you were flooded with requests can you kind of break down your process for taking in you know a new opportunity and like is it a gut feeling you get is it what what is it that pushes you over the edge in terms of yes i want to work on this
1: yeah that's a great question actually um i think uh, the way that i think about it because i'm so particular about loving this work that I do I kind of picture my creativity as a a tank and so there is a limit to how much I can give from this tank right and so if I have a limited creative resource I'm not gonna take on everything that comes my way and I realize that I'm in a very very good position where I can turn away work and I'm super duper grateful for that um But especially in the wake of the Sleeping Beauty proposal, there is just no way that I could have taken on all that work. I would be working for the rest of my life. You know, it was thousands and thousands of emails and the vast majority of them were either people wanting the exact same thing so a proposal video of them and their significant other in a, in a Disney movie. And that was, yeah, that was kind of one category. And then the other category was just a general commission of, you know, a still illustration of them and their family member or their pet or partner or whatever. Um, and with the people that were asking for a video, that to me is an immediate red flag because you clearly don't understand that these pieces are unique. Yeah, like, you don't understand the amount of work that goes into it. And also the fact that, like, these are made with so much love and care for a specific person that it's not like I'm a factory that just, like, cranks out, <laughs> you know, proposals videos. goes. Um, yeah, yeah, not six months full time, but, like, yeah, six months. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of one thing that I look out for. And that's pretty easy to gauge just from the tone of a message or an email is if someone doesn't understand the amount of work that it takes me for me- to make this stuff, then I know that they're not going to appreciate it to the extent that I would want to to feel like, you know, I'd, I'd really done a good job here or like to get the fulfillment out of it for me to kind of refill my creative tank for the next job. I kind of think of it like that. Like if I put creativity into something, I need to refill my tank with, you know, my inner feeling of having accomplished something that I think is good in the world and that person's appreciation for what I've done. And that kind of helps me, you know, build up for then the next project. So if I'm not going to get replenished from what you've asked me to do, then I'm probably not going to be able to take it on. Um with commissions, I do I do actually really enjoy doing commissions. Um, it's just whether or not I have time to do them. And so um, with the timing of the Sleeping Beauty proposal, I was already booked out for all of January with another project. And then I was going on holiday for a month. And then I knew when I came back from that holiday, I would have like a backlog of stuff. So at the moment, I'm not taking commissions. And that's just more of a timing thing. Um, but with big projects, yeah, the one thing I, I can tell from an email is if someone is going to um, want to actually collaborate with me and work with me and understand that I, I would really care about their project and want to contribute as well. Or if they just want me as a pen for hire, which is not my vibe. <laughs> that, that doesn't really do it for me. If you're like, totally. I've written this book how much would it cost for you to Mm. do the illustrations? My first question is always going to be, well, what's your book about? Mm. You know, I need to want to be involved. I need to want to develop it with you. I need you to understand that I want to work with you. I'm not just going to draw what you tell me to. Yeah. Brilliant. Because that's, that's not why I do this work.
0: Yeah. I love that you broke that down. Um, because I've definitely found myself saying yes to things that I regretted saying yes to. And it truly feels like such a drudgery (laughs) (laughs) every time. Yeah. And it just kills the joy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. It really does kill the joy. That's exactly it. Um, but then I think, you know, even I still have stuff like that. I, you know, even this year I've taken on some projects where now I'm like, Oh, well I I won't do that again. Um, But you learn from them, yeah, and it just makes the good ones stick out yeah. even more obviously. Totally, totally. yeah.
0: Now you have had some uh, quite a few creative partnerships. I mean, with what can we be? Obviously, with the Sleeping Beauty Beauty proposal video, and and a number of other partnerships. I'd love to hear your thoughts um, because you're such a relational person. Um, when it comes to creative partnerships, how do you go about sort of vetting new partners? You've you touched on this a little bit for sure, but um, what are the red flags you look for? And also what are things that make you feel like this is going to be a good partnership? I want to partner with this person.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting because I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Mm. But you, when you know, you know. Um, and I don't know if it's, Um, because you can kind of tell after a few back and forth emails with someone, even if they like, for me, it's important if they have a sense of humor, that's similar to me, because we're going to be working on this project for like probably a significant amount of time, especially if it's a big one, like, um, like the children's book that I did with Ryan Crawford, what can we be? He first emailed me about that. I think in like 2017, so you know, and now we're still obviously working together. And when I went to the UK, I met him, and we did some events and stuff. So like, this is a, a long-term commitment. We're we're going into a long-term relationship essentially. And So I need to evaluate if we good match in terms of personality, work ethic, um, just a whole range of things. Um, and so I think the main thing that I look for in new people is is. Honestly, one of the things is, is this someone that I think I could be friends with? Because, again, that, like, maintains the joy in these projects for me. It doesn't make me feel like I'm working for someone. It makes me feel like I'm working with a friend. Um, so, yeah, I look for that. And then I also look for someone who um, is going to respect my time. So, you know, if they put a lot of effort into, you know, their initial contact me and explained their situation rather than just saying you know hey I want to work with you what's your price I get a lot of those and I'm like you've given me no information here I do not even know what to do with this um, but yeah, like if they've taken the time to kind of spell out their idea and if they understand that um you know, there is a chance that I might say no. I, I don't. I don't particularly like it when people assume that I'm going to say yes to anything that comes along, um, because that's just not how it works for me. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people are shocked. They're like, "Why don't you want to draw my cat?" And I'm like, "It's just <laughs> not really my vibe. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I reserve the right to Aww. pick and." you know, with my own set of criteria that you don't necessarily get to know about. Um, Yeah, so I think that's one. And then um, for me, yeah, so it's about a connection with the the person that I'm working for, the people, but also a connection with their project. And I like to work with people that are passionate about what they're doing. So um, a lot of the times I do come on board to projects kind of after their initial inception. That's just kind of the nature of what I do people have an idea and they usually develop it and then they go we need artwork um and that is that's fine for me but it's it's just nice to know that they're passionate about their project and they're willing for me to be just as passionate yeah Uh,
0: and that they trust that you can you have the chops to be a part of that initial creative process and and have buy-in and sign off and also input <laughs> It's probably nice
1: <laughs> yeah exactly if someone's open-minded to me having input yeah then that's a big one as well because yeah like yeah. i said i'm not i'm not in the business to just be a pen for hire i'm not <laughs> gonna draw whatever you tell me to i'm gonna have some thoughts <laughs> I, love I, I love people's thoughts on my patients as well like i don't I don't really want to work on a project where everything I draw, they say, yes, that's amazing because mm. that's not really helping me grow.
0: Either. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you first started to get feedback on projects, when you first became a freelancer, was it really hard for you to take or do you feel by nature? It's easy for you to hear and process feedback or has it been a learning curve for you?
1: It's definitely a learning curve for me. I'm, um, I've am i always been a bit of a perfectionist, and I'm getting better, um, but when I first started, it was definitely a bit like, oh, what do you mean? You don't like this amazing thing that I've done. How I think it's the best you. thing that's ever happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, So yeah, I definitely kind of sometimes have to sit on people's feedback and mull it over until I can see where they're coming from. And honestly, I had a situation where someone's feedback I haven't agreed with after a bit of time I think it's just something that comes from being a creative when you make something you want everyone to think it's the best thing that's ever happened and in reality that's just not possible um yeah so I, I I'm getting better at um dealing with feedback I think because I just have to do it so much now um but it is a process and I think the that's another reason why it's so important to work with people that you respect because then you respect their feedback and you're going to take it on board Truth, I love it.
0: Now, my next question is one that you might have answered many times, so <laughs> bear with me.
1: <laughs> um, That's alright. Let uh, me head speak down. No, I don't know what the question. <laughs> is.
0: The question is, um, I mean, obviously, when you started working with Lee, you had no idea where this thing was going to go. You just believed in it. You you uh, wanted to make it great. I'd love to hear a little bit about how going viral has affected you for good and maybe some of the challenges that have come along with it um, after the fact.
1: Yeah, that's, I, that's actually an interesting question and I haven't answered that actually at all. Okay, so well, I can't, I can't go to my pre script. Oh, oh no. Dang it. Um, how has it affected me? To be honest, when it first kind of happened, you know, in those first few days, it was a real whirlwind, um, and the lasting effect is is really actually quite minimal. I mean, I've I've been lucky to have a lot more people now see my work, and I've I've gained a, a bigger community on social media out of that, which I'm super thankful for. Um, but in terms of my day to day, it's it's really just helped get my work in front of more people, um, which obviously brings with it opportunities. But, um, yeah, it hasn't really had any um, any other significant effect other than, you know, also being able to go and meet Lee. That would never have happened um, if it didn't go viral. So I'm super, super thankful for that. Um, and I haven't really had many negative um, experiences either, there are always some strange people that send you Instagram messages or Facebook messages, but, um, you know, you just ignore those, to oh, be honest. Oh, man. I, cannot, um, I
0: can only
1: imagine. They're, they're not really that bad. It's just sometimes people would just say, like, hi. And I'm like, I don't really know what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> what you, do you Do chat? Is there something I can do for you? Like, I don't really have time to kind of... You know, get blood out of this stone that is your message that's very brief. <laughs> um, but actually, one, one good thing that's come out of going viral, and this is, was a joke that Lee told me, so I'm going to give him original credit, was that um, he reckons that we can't get coronavirus because we've already been viral this ah. year. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, snap. <laughs> Truth. Let's hope that. Let's hope that's truly true. <laughs> I hope that for you. <laughs> okay. well,
1: yeah. No. I'm super grateful that it, it um, was as popular as it was. Um, but like all things on the internet, you know, it moves quickly, and um, you know, you just kind of try to appreciate it while it's happening. And um, I, I definitely still appreciate it. Sometimes I just think, "Wow, I hugged Kelly Clarkson." Like that was wild. just like reflecting not. But other than that, like. You know, I'm just really living my regular life. I'm just a, a an Aussie girl who works in a bedroom all day. That's, that's really all <laughs> I do. I just like to draw. Oh, I love it. Oh, man. Can you hear that person that's, like, whippersnipping or something? Occasionally, but it's not bad. Yeah. I, like, tried to close all the doors in my house, but he's really persistent. <laughs> He's doing, he's doing good work. Important work. (laughs) Exactly. At a time like this, that is definitely an essential activity.
0: (laughs) Guest starring. I'm going to have to give him a guest starring credit on this podcast. Yeah, let's call him Greg. (laughs) It's a good Australian name. Well, we needed some guest star for the sequel. I mean, you know, what would a sequel be without a whipper snipper? A
1: special appearance. That's right. (laughs) I love it. Snippers over there or is that just an Aussie thing? Um, I think we call them weed whackers here. Oh, that's so
0: fun. <laughs> and I think whippersnippers is way more fun. Oh, snap. Oh. Something crazy. Um, we de- we definitely uh, took a bit of a, a walk down this lane on our first conversation on the podcast. But I'd love to go a, a little deeper because I remember after we first chatted, uh, you and I kind of had some email exchanges And I just felt so encouraged by what you shared with me and some of the resources that you pointed me, you know, in those directions. And they definitely kind of changed the way that I started to develop as an artist. So I'd love to take us back to that point in your career where you kind of decided, I want to do art. Um, You know, you, you, it seems like you went from, and you weren't at zero at all. You definitely went from like 30 to 60, not zero to 60.
1: Oh, I was pretty close to zero. I can send you some of that that material if you want. I was oh, I was really negative. It was it was bad. When I look back, I'm like, how did anyone that I know and love let me quit a stable job when this was all I had going for me? Honestly, oh, it was like God. I was really just above stick figure level. I'm I'm shocked that anyone let me quit a job.
0: <laughs> I think it's amazing. Oh, but what I love is that you, like, you figured out how to accelerate your learning so quickly. And, you know, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what that looked like when you decided this is what I'm going to do. What were the next steps for you? Did you have mentors? Did you just start taking online courses constantly? I'd love to dive into that a little more.
1: Yeah, I, um, I think I'm, in general, a very observant and curious person. That's kind of what led me to science in a lot of ways. I like um, figuring out how things work and just kind of watching things unfold and and using that to understand stuff. And so I think for me the biggest thing that I consciously tried to do when I started drawing more was just to pay attention to the world around me, not even in terms of drawing it, but – Just, you know, when you're walking down the street, actually look at what trees look like. How do the branches form? What makes it look like a tree? You know, what makes a leaf look like a leaf? How does the light reflect off something that's round and shiny or something that's round and matte or fluffy or, you know, and you just kind of build up in your mind a bit of a library of how things look in the real world because when I was – starting to draw early on one of the things that I struggle with and I think a lot of people struggle with this is you can draw something and it's just not quite right and you can't figure out why and it's so frustrating and you can try over and over again but unless you know what the thing is that you need to fix you just kind of get stuck um so for me and I still do this yeah I kind of try to as much as possible build up a mental library of what things look like essentially um, and especially for me working in like TV animation and kids books, like a lot of that is also watching all kinds of animated shows and movies and looking at a lot of kids' books then you know, doing more direct research, I guess like that. um but yeah, I often find myself even just in my own home, which has had the same decor for you know years, I'll look at something for the first time and be like, that's really interesting how that like... Pom pom, kind of, you know, like flares out from the middle, and like the shading and stuff, and it's all stuff that you kind of keep in your brain until some later point that it's randomly useful. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the main thing that I I do. I can't really point people in the direction of like a specific online resource or anything. Um, there are a few that I really love. Um, Aaron Blaze has a YouTube channel which is amazing. Um, yeah, he was a Disney animator and, um, usually if there's something in particular that I want to improve, I just Google it and see what's out there to be honest. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. And then there was one, when I was doing that really early on, when I first quit my science job, I read one article and it said something, and I think I might've said this when I first spoke to you on the podcast, it was like, everything is made up of lines and curves And I don't know why, but that just stuck with me. And I think about that all the time. And I actually, I was watching um, Tangled a few days ago, and I, I noticed something really interesting. So there's uh, one of the thugs in Tangled has, like, a hook hand. Have you seen Tangled? I sure have. Yeah, okay, great. You know, there's, like, the one that wants to be a pianist. Totally. And he has, he has <laughs> a hook for a hand. And then I noticed that his hook hand... It's not actually curved, it's more of a kind of hexagon, like it's a bit jagged. Yeah, and then whereas the you know, Captain Hook in Peter Pan, he has a very rounded hook. And it kind of it says a lot about them as a person. Captain Hook is a bit um, you know, more sophisticated and kind of like fly and smooth. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this thug with his kind of like, you know, jagged hexagonal hook, he's a bit more rough around the Mm. edges. You know, and so it's things like that where I think about that lines and curves. Mm. And um, there's even just in that one sentence, there's so much that you could do in terms of like developing art just based on lines and curves and experimenting with that. So I don't really use an awful lot of online resources. There are just some gems that I've picked up that I just use over and over and over again. (laughs) That's kind of it. Like every time I sit down to draw, I think about lines and curves, lines and curves.
0: <laughs> I love it. And, and, you know, I think I was bemoaning the fact when we first spoke that, you know, I, oh, I I work a regular day job. I'm not able to draw all day, every day. And, um, you know, those words of encouragement, just, just observe what's around you. And in a sense, you are drawing with your mind. And that is half the battle. Mm-hmm. Truly changed my life, too. It stuck with me. And has continued to do so and I completely agree that it's so important because I am so I, I've got terrible ADD. I'm never paying attention to anything I'm looking at. <laughs> so I have to make a conscious effort to do it. And it does make such a difference. And I know I personally have so far to go and so much to learn, but I feel like that's helped to accelerate it a little bit. So I appreciate you breaking that down.
1: Thank no, you, I'm Madam. Glad you find it I'm yeah, glad it's totally. not just something that like I do and everyone's thinking, wow, that's <laughs> such a weird thing. What is wrong with her? <laughs> no, I love it. And
0: that actually brings me to a question that I hadn't planned to ask. But you, I, I feel like when I think about your work, one thing that definitely comes to my mind is it feels like you have this mastery of um, gesture and shape language um, that just feels so striking and strong and playful just depending on I guess the mood you're trying to accomplish do you mind talking a little bit about shape language and gestures you know what have you learned over these last couple of years that has strengthened your drawing and and why do you feel like that's such a strong uh, strength that strong strength that's very repetitive for you
1: very strong strength very no, strong strong strength. <laughs> Have weak strength and you can have strong strengths. That's strength. true, I guess. <laughs> like strengths. bit of a ten things I hate about you reference. Um, yeah, I think I for me I like emotion in characters is is my main goal because growing up I just loved expressions on cartoon characters. For me, if something is going to be a cartoon rather than kind of like, you know, live action or you know, real life there has to be a reason for it and cartoon characters, the reason that I love them is because they can do expressions and poses that you just can't do with a real person. And so I like to push that to the extreme because that's the fun of it for me. Um, I don't like doing oil painting, you know, hyper realistic work because why not just get into photography? Um, You know, for me personally. So I've always loved experimenting with, with gesture and expression and stuff. And I think the main thing that I remember reading early on was something about um, if you're drawing a character and you've got them in a pose, try just kind of filling that whole pose with black and make it a silhouette and is it easy to read? And if you can't figure out what the character is doing, then maybe it's it's time to change the pose. Um, and you can learn a lot just by doing a simple trick like that. Um, and that's one thing that I usually keep in mind when I'm doing poses and stuff. Um, and I also, uh, do a lot of, um, drawing from my own, body and or crazy face. So, um, I spend a lot of time, um, taking photos of, you know, my hands doing certain gestures or, you know, standing a certain way in the mirror or making a certain face. Um, and just kind of use that as inspiration because I, I'm still not, I'm not quite at the point where I can entirely make it up for really, really obscure poses Um, I need to do some more kind of figure drawing work to get there. So while I kind of bridge that gap, I do sometimes work from very odd photos of myself. No one wants to see my camera roll, that's for sure. I
0: love it. I think (laughs) that's something I've definitely been learning over the last year is the importance of reference, even especially when you make it yourself. I think that makes it even more unique and fun. So that's a good reinforcement of that. Um, And that's so cool. I dig it. Okay, so you kind of already answered my next question, darling. So I'm going to spring one on you that I didn't, I wasn't planning to ask. So um, if you need to pause, let me know. Are you, are you ready? Um, so I don't, you're probably familiar with the, the Proko YouTube channel, um, which I appreciate from time to time. And recently, it's, it's like a, basically an art, it's almost like an art institute, um, P-R-O-K-O. Huh, okay. And um, I hadn't been an avid watcher until I went to Lightbox and everyone was like fawning over this Proko channel that was there and these in- this individual that was there. So I finally decided to check it out. And I was like, oh, this is really solid stuff around the sort of the fundamentals. And they do a lot of interviews and, and workshops with artists. It's great. And one oh, thing oh. that uh, I really appreciated um, that uh, the guy who kind of runs the channel said was, a lot of people have a hard time trying to find their voice. Um, and so mm. one thing he encourages them to do is to, to basically find art parents. And what he means by that is if you want to have a unique voice, identify two hero artists that you have that you find yourself wanting to emulate and sort of merge their uh, styles, if you will, and then give it your own spin as a way to start to learn to develop, you know, a, a style that speaks to you. If you had to pick two art parents, maybe more, you know, um, who do you think your art parents are? People that really, really influenced your style. um, And certainly your style is so uniquely your own. But I just loved that question. I thought it was so interesting.
1: Yeah, that's great. Oh, okay. So um, I think... A big influence on my art has been Glenn Keane, Disney animated legend extraordinaire. (laughs) For anyone unaware, he was the supervising animator on Ariel and the Little Mermaid. He developed a lot of Tangled um, and he was meant to direct it, but I think he ended up being credited as an executive producer and maybe the supervising animator on Rapunzel. Um, I have the Art of Tangled book. It's the only art book that I have because I I have some hoarding tendencies, and so to counteract that, I am a bit of a minimalist. Um, I think I own about 30 books, and of those, probably 10 are Harry Potter. So um, I don't own a lot of books, but I do have the the Art of Tangled book, and almost every character concept sketch is by Glen Keane, and it's it's incredible. Uh, He just has, like, a way with characters. Yeah, and he is fantastic with expressions and gesture and all that stuff that I love. So um, he would be, I guess he'd be my um, art dad. Does that mean that And you Claire can have Keens you can, can have art two dads because she's incredible. She is as well.
0: great too. That's true. She's been on the podcast, and I man, know. talk about a wonderful person.
1: I, I'm gonna get the Keens to adopt me.
0: <laughs> oh. too.
1: Um And then it. for another one, um, I'm trying to think. I have so many artists that I follow just because I love the color palettes that they use. Um, so there's a local Melbourne illustrator her name is Ellen Porteous and she is just unreal with colors. She does all kinds of stuff. She, I think she recently worked with like Facebook and Instagram. She does murals around Melbourne. She's, she's huge. Um, but she just has a way with colors and I'm like, damn, every time I see one of her posts, I'm like, that is just genius. And it just makes me kind of, um, put a bit more thought into my colors Yeah, Um, that's
0: bold. I'm looking at her stuff right now. It feels like it vibrates on the eyes, but in a good way.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a lot, but in the best possible way. Um, Yeah, so actually she had a a gallery show in December and I went with a friend of mine and I accidentally matched her exhibit. I was wearing this like colorful jumper and I walked in and I was like, I'm the exact same color as all these mural walls that she's painted. Um, So, uh, yeah, I do love her work. Um, I also love um, Cause, the pop artist. Uh, He's fantastic as well. I saw his exhibit at the National Gallery of Victoria earlier this year. Um, I think it was called Companionship in the Age of Loneliness. It was very interesting. Um, But he basically, like, does pop art, characters, um, yeah, and kind of, like, he would paint over the top of, like, posters and branding and stuff. Um, and I kind of love that idea of putting cartoons into pop culture. Um, like I recently did um, a kind of cartoony version of the Mona Lisa, which was like a bit inspired. Yeah, because I just like it's kind of a bit cheeky and I love that. Yes. Um, yes. But I guess they would be my three art parents, maybe, the ones that I, I can it. think of off <laughs> my head.
0: Hey, I mean, that's hey. great for for um, me springing that question on you. So several months ago, you, you mentioned that you traveled to Europe, of course, pre-corona outbreak. Um, and you talked a little bit about how traveling made it difficult to draw. But do you, did you find that it was like inspiring or affected your creative drive or process in other ways?
1: Yeah, I mean part of the reason that it made it difficult to draw was because I'm an idiot and I put my Apple pencil in the front pocket of my backpack which got rained on and oh, then it didn't no. work. So that's my own fault. Dang it. Um, yeah, no, but it was it was very interesting because I traveled I traveled very light. Like I said, I'm a bit of a minimalist, so I, I only had carry-on backpack and I took with me all of my work gear. And I don't know why I really did that in the first place, but I'm glad I did because I ended up having to do a piece for the Kelly Clarkson show on an overnight flight. So I'm glad I had all my gear, but it was really inspiring to me, not just to be traveling around these countries that I hadn't been to and getting inspiration from the architecture and, you know, the people that you see and stuff but also just to know that I can do this work from literally anywhere in the world and I'm so portable, um, that's really kind of lit a fire in my belly to maybe um, up and skedaddle for a bit and just travel around and draw and work on projects with people um, kind of wherever in the world.
0: Just make sure you stop by Spokane.
1: Okay, we'll do. It's number one. You know, people go, oh, New York, Paris, Berlin. No, no. (laughs) Spokane. It's where it's
0: at. It's the world's best kept
1: secret, Kayla. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. I want to talk a little bit about being your own boss. Um, And who knows? That might not be your reality forever. But it is somewhat your reality now. And a lot of people glorify it and um and for some people it works really well. And for others, it turns out to be something they don't love. So I'd love to dig into the nitty gritty since you have perfected your process. And you are the Ooh, CEO, the CEO of
1: Kayla Coombs <laughs> Incorporated. Yeah, God, my boss is just such a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's uh, yeah. So, Sorry, no, so
0: when you're on deadline, how do you combat artist block or an overall feeling of apathy when there's a lot to get done. We definitely talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Um, How do you, how do you fight that feeling when, when it comes
1: on strong? Oh, and sometimes it does come on strong. Like, oh boy. Um, I think the main thing that I do is just force myself to sit down at my desk. That's step one. Like, you know, if I can just make myself sit down, even if I'm not doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing, um, you know, at least I'm in the right place to start. Um, So that's kind of the first thing. And then also one part of being your own boss as a freelancer is that if you don't work, you don't get paid. So um, there is no kind of just cruising through the day because you can do that, but then how are you going to pay your rent or put petrol in your car or whatever? Um, so you know, the threat of having to um survive, that kind of is quite a motivating force. I I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but I think you know, at some point you've just gotta try and hold yourself accountable and that's easier for some people than for others. I know for me the motivation of knowing that I want to earn money so I can do things I enjoy, like go and visit my family in Brisbane, go on holidays, um you know, I love going to live music gigs. Uh, that is enough motivation for me if I'm really in a slump. But I think it's just about finding whatever motivates you. It's almost like if you were the if you were the boss of any employee, you kind of need to think of yourself as an external employee. Like, what is going to make this employee do their best work? Some people are motivated motivated by praise. Some people are motivated by like rewards or food or um, you know, um, certain breaks throughout the day, you know, if you're someone that can be motivated by saying something like I have to work for half an hour and then I'm going to give myself five minutes to go and just watch a crazy YouTube video and then I'll do another half an hour and then I'll go and watch another five-minute video. It's kind of just about getting to know what works for you. And for me, my main motivation is, you know, if I, I kind of think of jobs in terms of like how many concerts I can go, for, go to for what I'm going to pay, you know, well, if I do this job, then that's return flights to visit my family at Christmas or... If I do this job, then that's a holiday to here or that kind of thing. So even though it doesn't end up getting all used on that stuff, obviously we have boring things to pay for like bills <laughs> and food. Um, that helps me kind of get my ass into gear and get moving. That's
0: good. I dig it. It's, you it's, got to bribe yourself sometimes. You totally and... do. I found myself so, doing that today. It's, it's, it does work and it is true. Ugh.
1: Yeah, a bit of like psychological gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. So
0: one of the things that people who may be new to freelancing tend to cringe at and feel very nervous about is negotiating pay and timelines and all of that fun stuff. Um, Let's talk about the strategies that you use now that you've certainly um, had to do this countless times. Um, How do you approach that topic and uh, navigate it every time?
1: I mean, it's always awkward. I think that's one thing that people need to kind of understand is that it's it, it's not a fun conversation for anyone that I know, at least. I'm sure there are some people out there that are, you know, super keen to be salesmen for themselves, but I just find it so awkward to negotiate my own worth. It's almost like writing um, writing a resume every time and you feel like you have to sell yourself and that just makes me vomit a little in my mouth, so... Um, it's definitely not something that I enjoy, but I think the main thing that you have to think about is how long is this going to take me. That's that's what it comes back to, and it's that's different for every person, and what you think your time worth is different for every person. So um, it's a pretty personal thing. But like one thing that I would suggest people think about long and is like what is the absolute minimum that you would do something for because sometimes it's easy when you're first starting out to be convinced that you should do something for free or for exposure or because it's good experience and that's well and good in some situations but not all so like you know what's what's kind of what are your minimum prerequisites for a job and and you've got to stay firm on those boundaries otherwise people are going to walk all over you
0: that's good. And has yeah, that happened and- to you? I mean, I'm sure it has.
1: Yeah, I, it was actually – one thing that comes to mind was uh, maybe two or three years ago now, I was still, like, relatively um, new to this whole situation, and a company approached me to do some artwork for them. Um, it was basically like, you you know, a you do this for free and we'll give you exposure type situation, which at the time – I was perfectly okay with because I think I had maybe a thousand followers on Instagram, and they had thirty or forty thousand. And so they were like, you know, you do this art for us. We're gonna post it on our page and we'll tag you. And and it was like a good, sensible match. They did. Um, they had a product that really lined up with the kind of artwork that I do. So it's not like it would have been out of place. And I thought there was a good chance that I would get. Um, you know, some of their followers across to me, which would help me grow and get more work, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I did this piece for them and they uploaded it to their Instagram and they like really heavily edited and filtered it and still left my signature on it, which absolutely irritated me to the ends of the world because I was like, not only have you defaced my artwork, but you put my signature on it like that's how I intended it. And I I confronted them about it and said, you know, what's the go? This isn't the artwork that I sent you. And they said, oh, we didn't think your art was at the level that we, like, you know, typically would expect from a collaborator. So we made some changes to get it up to that standard. And I was like, all right. Anyway, and that was back in the day when you could see how many likes something got on Instagram. I don't know if you guys are – do you still see the number of likes?
0: i do at least on my feed usually
1: Uh, i think australia was one of the first places they were testing it but here we haven't been able to see the number of likes on a post in about three months so probably yeah yeah so you can if you click on your own pictures you can see but i can't see anyone else's kind of engaging thing but back in the day when you could see the numbers they had this they had this huge account and I think this terribly edited artwork of mine got like, I don't know, maybe 500 likes or something. And um, I posted the original to my tiny, tiny page and it was the first time that any of my work got some like kind of serious traction for the size of my account. And um, it's just a real like digital slap in the face to them and I still think back on it. I think it got like maybe 5,000 likes, which was massive Whoa. for me at the
0: time. Like, yeah. Fun.
1: Many people that followed me. It was magic. The Instagram gods were smiling on me that day for (laughs) sure. Um, But, yeah, that's one thing that I I think of when, yeah, you kind of got to negotiate uh, situations like that. If you're doing something for exposure – Um, really assess the situation and make sure you have some clear guidelines on the usage of your work. Even if you're, even if you've never put guidelines in place like that before, um, there is absolutely no shame in saying something along the lines of like, you know, you can only use my work in the form that I deliver it to you. It's not to be edited or cropped. And, you know, you can definitely lay down those guidelines as well if you're going to do work for free. Um, And then if if you're negotiating pay, just make sure that you stay confident in your own worth. You know how much time it takes you to produce something. You know how much love and care you put into it. And, um, you know, if if someone doesn't respect that, then, you know, that's their problem, not yours.
0: Good words. (laughs) Uh, And thank you for sharing that story because there, you know, are many of us who may find ourselves in that situation. And that will help us maybe think twice before we, you know lay down those guidelines and and work with someone.
1: Yeah, um, I even had just a couple months ago. Hmm. Like it happens recently and you know every piece that I send off I just have a sentence that says, you know, you can upload this to social media just make sure that my signature stays on it. Do not crop my signature out of it and make sure that you credit me. And the number of times people just completely ignore that and then I have to be like, "Um hello.
0: <laughs> Excuse you." <laughs>
1: exactly so if someone if you ask someone and they ignore it just know you're not alone it happens to everyone it's the continuous struggle of being an artist somehow people think that they own everything that you make publicly available Mm.
0: do you feel it's important now uh, and i know that when you work with like corporate clients this is a no-brainer but when you're working with someone who might be you know an artist or a writer do you always have a contract signed before you go you know work together Um, or do you kind of play it by ear and work with people that your gut tells you to trust? Like, um, how papered is your process if you don't mind sharing?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a real spectrum to be honest. Mm. Obviously the bigger projects have a lot more paperwork. Sometimes I'll spend a whole morning reading over these contracts and it's just like they're saying things in the longest, most complicated possible way. I'm like, why are you wasting everyone's time? Um do an old fashioned handshake and just trust each other. Um, no, but all of the um all the children's book manuscripts that I get sent, I'm I'm always on the front foot about signing an NDA because I understand that people have been working on this project for years and years and they're very protective of their idea and um especially now that i have a little bit of a bigger presence i could see how someone might be afraid that i might steal their idea and leave them out of it which i want people to know is never going to happen so i'm happy to put that on paper um but with with projects like um like the proposal that i did with lee that was really just um yeah just kind of chats over email and um You can get a good feel for someone's intentions, I guess, after a quick Skype and a a few emails. Um, But, yeah, I definitely think when when the projects get bigger, it's important to have some kind of paperwork in place uh, or at least just an email chain. Make sure that you say something explicitly in an email just in case you ever have to circle back. You never want it to get to that, but it's always always good to be safe rather than sorry.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. good words. I love it. Um, one thing I super respect about you, I mean, I respect pretty much everything about you, but one thing I I think is amazing is a lot of people will reach out to me occasionally and say, Hey, I live in such and such a country. I don't live, you know, in Los Angeles in the heart of animation town or in New York. Um, there's no way I could possibly make it as an artist. You know, people often see where they live as dictating their success. And one thing that you have managed to do is to partner with folks across the globe and you know you've mentioned Skype and email a number of times and how you know you have managed to develop such meaningful relationships with really great people and companies around the world I'd love to hear a little bit about business development so you know from the outside some people may say oh Kayla is such an amazing artist so her art must have landed her all this work on its own cuz it just speaks for itself Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. throat) Or (laughs) those who know you also know that you are so natural and good with people and easy to talk to. And so I would imagine that, you know, forming relationships in the first place comes fairly naturally to you. And you do seem to prioritize relationships and keeping those going over time. Can we talk a little bit about business development and like, how do you approach... I guess, business development. Is that a term that you use in Australia? I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, Yeah. Okay, okay, sweet, sweet. I know
1: what you mean, yeah. But it's so funny because what you're saying, I know that I I do it, but I just honestly think that it's like making friends. (laughs) I love it. Woo! Yeah, I used to, you know, in my science job, it was networking, you know, you had to be networking. And now it's so funny because I don't, I don't know what it is, if it's just because I love doing this so much, but Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as networking. I think of these as my art friends. That's so great. Um, That's probably what
0: makes the difference. And it doesn't feel icky or like you have an agenda.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with uh, big companies like Adobe. I've worked with a few times now. And like, I think of them as my pals. Yeah. Old mate over at Adobe, you know, it's because I think a lot of people in this industry we're in it because we enjoy it, and so you kind of start off the conversation with that common ground that you know we're we're both just trying to make stuff that makes us and other people happy, and so when you can start from that place, it can be easier to build a relationship, whether it's you know social or a working relationship rather than in some other occupations where, you know, it's a bit more, uh, what can you do for me? What do I have to do in return for you? Um, so, yeah, I think my business is just just based on working with people that I enjoy working with on projects that we both enjoy collaborating on. And as much as I, yeah, I just use that formula and luckily it all comes together, um, and I've been, I have really struck it good though with the people I've worked with. Like I mentioned that Ryan and I started working together um, almost three, maybe four years ago now. It was a long time. Um, and we just met for the first time a couple months ago. Um, and we actually, we didn't even Skype until um, maybe six months after we started working wow. together. Wow. Yeah our book was basically done before we even had our first Skype oh, where we had a few publishers that, you know, wanted to talk to us over Skype and we were like, Oh, maybe we should actually talk to each other first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's
1: not oh, real weird.
0: I love it. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, like Lee is just an absolute legend. And I could tell that from the first time we chatted on Skype uh, and then when we were in LA, he took us to, you know, him and Stutti took us to In N Out Burger. You know, there's just great people. And, you know, you, um, we've stayed connected for, it's probably over two years now, right? Two and a half. Yeah, I just, um, I, yeah, the people that I really enjoy, I make an effort to stay in touch with them and also to kind of build those new relationships as well. Um, because if I, Enjoy someone's work, I want to tell them, and I don't care if they write back to me, I just want them to know like, I love that thing you did, just FYI. And then sometimes I'm oh, fortunate they write back, and then we become friends, but otherwise I'm just like, Yeah, I like that a lot, and I feel like you should know.
0: Dang, it's it's I just can't wait to keep watching your um success unfold, and you're gonna be running the world before long. <laughs>
1: That sounds like like, too much responsibility. Kayla for president.
0: (laughs) Can you come save us? Come save the U.S. (laughs)
1: I'm not allowed out of my house. I'm not safe.
0: (laughs) 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 Yes, please do stay in your house. Stay safe. Um, So one question I accidentally skipped over uh, that I definitely want to go back to is um, kind of goes back to what you were just talking about, which is illustrating a book. Um, I cannot even imagine taking on a project like that. I think a lot of people don't realize what goes into developing a character, um, just one character, let alone many of them. Could you talk to me a little bit about, for those of us who have never done it, what is it like to illustrate a book? And like, what does the process look like? And, you know, you had a collaborator, some people both write and illustrate it. What, What was that piece like? I'd love for you to share anything that you find interesting about Uh, learning to do that. And that might not have been your first time, but, um, you know, maybe what your first time was like.
1: Yeah, no, that was the first time that I uh, had illustrated a a book. um, Or that was the first time I'd taken on a project of that size at all. And I really had no idea what would be required to go into it. Uh, it was a very steep learning curve. So if I can help anyone kind of minimize the steepness of the curve now, <laughs> I would love to.
0: Wait, we're all um, about flattening the curves right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, all of the curves. Curve. <laughs> we don't want any curves, only lines, <laughs> <laughs> flat lines, <laughs> only flat lines. Um, yeah, with a book, there is just so, so much work that goes into it. I had no idea. Um, the designing of the characters, figuring out just what kind of vibe you even want the book to have, like the whole book needs to look like it all goes together. And that's one thing that I wasn't used to. I I was doing one-off pieces, you know, here and there. And occasionally I might do, um, you know, three or four pieces, but never a whole book's worth. So everything from just designing a character and having to redraw that character over and over and have them look the same from every angle. That was a learning curve. Um, designing the number of characters in this book. I think we've got, um, let me see, six girls and all of their dads. And then on top of that, auxiliary characters, there are some animals. Um, and so designing all of those characters, especially the ones that you have to draw more than once, Um, That takes time. Making sure the book has like a visual feel that is consistent throughout um, is hard. And then one thing that I kind of struggled with is because it takes so long to put something like that together, by the time it was published, I feel like I could have done better if I got to start again at that point. So now I look back on it, and I'm like, there is a lot that I would do differently, um, because by the time it was published in mid 2019, it was I think two years since I started Holy working on smokes. it. Holy
0: smokes! Yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yes. Wow. So there's just like so much development that goes on. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of groundwork, and I think especially the way that Ryan and I did it, because it was so collaborative. Um, I was really fortunate that we got to work through all those things together and I had someone to bounce ideas off, you know. We'd say, what do you think is like, you know, this kind of colour palette? Do we want it to be brighter or, you know, more kind of warm or cool toned and um, just so much stuff that I could bounce off him as well. And he gave heaps and heaps of useful input to the characters and stuff. Um, so it was my saving grace that I had someone else to do it with me on our first book mm. um, and we are working on another one now a sequel ooh, ooh. Um, so I I haven't quite started my part on that but he has um, almost finished his part which is great for him <laughs> um, and I, it'll be interesting to see how it is this time around yeah. and um, in between that, I've been working on some of my own ideas, but I'm writing doesn't come naturally to me. Um, I I can have an idea, but I just don't know how to kind of flesh it out to a whole story as well. Um, so hopefully at some point in the future I'll be able to write and illustrate something, but mm. my brain just struggles with the words, you know, sure. even when the word <laughs> <laughs> got, that could be where you come in if you've got a good book. Good someday for me, <laughs> someday.
0: someday I'll get an idea. No, I thank you for breaking that down because uh, I think honestly that's one thing that I dread. I love doing one-off pieces, and I feel like that scratches an itch for me. But the mm. thought of drawing a character or something over and over from every angle typically makes me want to gag. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds like thing, so tedious to
1: me. It's a lot. And one thing that I didn't even realize when we started was the work doesn't end when the book comes out. Like, now, you know, every Christmas, I, you know, do a little drawing for, like, you know, celebrating Christmas. Like, I will be drawing these characters for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> All the promotional materials. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and that's why it's so important to put in the groundwork, mm, because yes. otherwise, not going to want to draw these characters ever again. And one question that I've gotten quite a lot, especially when I do um, school visits with the book, is the kids will ask how long does it take to draw a page? And obviously, for the kids, you know, you just say a ballpark figure. But the truth is that I, I don't even know because, you know, do you include in that, yeah, the time that it takes to develop all the characters and figure out the color palette and stuff it's it's not even just how long does it take you to sit down and draw it's like how long does how long's a piece of string you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you for humoring that question it's 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 so interesting to kind of get a peek behind the curtain and I think just so few people truly realize what goes into that and I'm excited to see what you guys develop next so I'm going to be staying tuned for that
1: yeah and um, that's why it's important to pick a good collaborator because yeah. you'll be the best person for ever so um, yeah, I'm very, very particular. I'm gonna start hiring course. you
0: to vet all my collaborators. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it needs the Kayla
1: seal of approval, or I can't do it. I do have like the perfect, um, I think, the perfect kind of emails for letting someone down gently, because so often I get people email me, and their project is it has a lot of potential, so much potential, but. To get to the point where you're ready for an illustrator to come on board, that really needs to be the last step because there's no changing the words after the pictures have been drawn.
0: Oh, that's
1: good. So um, I do get a lot where, you know, I'll I'll say something along the lines of, like, I love the idea and I genuinely often do love the idea. It's just not quite quite at the point where I could come on board. Um, So... Yeah, I think it's it's definitely important also to not just say no outright to people because you know, people, things change and develop, and you know you learn and grow. And so I always leave the door open for people to get back to me if they've um, been able to kind of develop their story a bit more. Because I love that. yeah, I would say at least ninety nine percent of people that email me, I genuinely think they have a great idea.
0: Not burning bridges is something I'm a big believer in. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to Kayla Coombs,
0: Incorporated, (laughs) um, because Because you're your own CEO, you're your own secretary, you're everything. Um, Another question I've enjoyed asking myself over the years, as well as friends, is if you have to identify three descriptive words or vibes or feelings that you want everyone to feel when they interact with you. What are those words or feelings that every interaction you have, you want people to walk away with those feelings?
1: Oh, that is such a good question. Um, and you did send it to me before this chat and I saw it, but did I think about it? No. <laughs> um,
0: I could uh, identify I th- the ones I think they are. But...
1: Okay. What if I say, I'll say mine that I think I want people to feel about me and then you can tell me and I can say the same about you. If you <laughs> I are, can verify if yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think number one, in terms of, you know, working with me which obviously that's what this is about it's not about me being your pal um although I like (laughs) to be that too I think in terms of a working relationship my number one word would be I I want people to feel respected by me because Mm. I I do think that's so important and I have a lot of respect for everyone that has the courage to reach out and email me if they've got a small project and they don't really know what they're doing. You know, that is a huge step and I have a lot of respect for that, whether or not we end up working together or not. Um, and people that I email to work with them, you know, I have a lot of respect for these people. So I think, um, you know, it, the art community can be a bit competitive, but I don't like to think of it like that. I like to be very upfront with my, my yeah, respect for other absolutely and appreciation so number one maybe respect Um, number two joy I guess I really I find a lot of joy in doing what I do I find a lot of joy in talking to people and I hope that that comes across when I talk to them Um, and oh, number three I like to think that I'm I don't know like I want to say maybe kind or I, I like to try and be as like I don't know Kind as I can be, you know, when people ask me, I get a lot of um, messages and I try to reply to as many as possible because, um, you know, if I can help someone, I want to try and do that. Um, obviously, there's a limit to what I can do as one person. And um, Instagram, I found out recently, likes to delete any unread messages after a month. so. Oh. Yeah, so there are a lot of people that I wasn't able to get back to when I had that influx. But Mm. usually when it's business as normal, I like to try and get back to people and – um. Yeah. Do what I can for them within reason. So I guess I guess that would be my words. But I don't know. You can those fact check those. No. I I
0: can I can verify <laughs> that, that those are indeed the truth. You can give me the
1: blue tick for those words.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No. I love that. And they're they're also positive, but like so human friendly. And you definitely, I think everybody that interacts with you feels uplifted and respected and heard. And um, I think that's beautiful.
1: Oh, Oh, I'm glad. And I think those words, they apply to you as well. You know, I... I was so excited to be on your podcast two and a half years ago. It was the first podcast I ever did. I thought I was a freaking rock star for someone. (laughs) Because you are. (laughs) But now, it's still just as exciting. You know, I I really enjoy talking to you. And I think um, you have a great way of of interviewing creatives and making them feel, yeah, heard and respected and – yeah important like they're doing something that's really uh making a difference to people and kind of bring in some smiles so you're, you're, yeah you're
0: too nice in closing my friend um you have got a lot of stuff going on so i would love if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to plug anything you have going i know you just dropped a coloring book you've got some exciting stuff in the yes. works what would you like to plug before we head out
1: um, yeah, I've got this coloring book. It's my amazing coloring book. It's a Ooh. download. You can print it at home when you're in isolation. Cause I know a lot of people have their kids at home, uh, and they're also trying to work from home. So if you need something to entertain your kids, um, you can pick that one up and just print it at home over and over again for your kids, endless fun. Um, and I've also got, yeah, the, the book that I did with Ryan, what can we be? um and other than that i guess just keep an eye on my instagram so much to stop more coming soon yeah yeah exactly <laughs> looks a bit sealed on some things but it'll all come out in the wash
0: so exciting i love it and we're <laughs> going to link to all your socials in the show notes so hopefully folks can quickly and easily find you there kayla you're my favorite thank you so much for stopping by
1: oh hannah you're a bloody legend. <laughs>